Yo, man. Boom, Miss Rusty. Boom, Miss Rusty. Boom, Miss Rusty. I'm one of those hopefully didn't clip out. I'm trying to find the right place where it's not going to clip out and it just goes, Rusty. And then I, as I've had that on some of my recent episodes. I get too excited when I start going and, um, you know, that, that's because it's, it's fun and I enjoy doing this and I get to talk to cool people. And speaking of cool people, I'm just going to bring her right on right here, right now. Sapna Shawhawk, how you doing? Doing great, Rusty. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for being on here. I, um, yeah, this, uh, I used to do a lot of introductions, but then, you know, I figure everyone can get to know you throughout the conversation and then, and then we'll get to it. But, um, you know, I bring people on here because I want to talk with them. And so, you know, that that's, that's reason enough. So, um, yeah, so I had tried getting you on here and you came back today, which was, um, I very much appreciate that. I, I just, for some reason, couldn't get my audio working, but now I think I figured out what I need to do in that instance. So I'm happy and I very much appreciate that you were able to uh, work with me on this one and come back and. Absolutely. I uh, I mean, life happens, right? But now today, you know, you have the Cobra Kai shirt and SpongeBob. So I I, I love it. I love it. Oh, good. You're a, so you're a Cobra Kai and SpongeBob fan. I appreciate or, or the iconic, you know, the iconic SpongeBob. Um, I never really watched the cartoon, but I am a huge. I grew up as a huge Karate Kid fan, and oh, okay. uh, so I actually appreciate the Cobra Kai uh, show on Netflix. So, what did uh, what got you into uh, being a Karate Kid fan? How, what was it that uh, attracted you to that that movie or movie series? I guess. I think it was you know part of my childhood. It was uh, I thought that the concept of karate was always very interesting. My parents wouldn't let me do it because I, they didn't want me to get hurt. So you know, of course, when you tell me not to do something, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. So. I, I I never got into karate, but I've I've really just I liked the series from then on, and you know, kind of like my parents wouldn't let me listen to Motley Crue or anything like that, and the I, I still love you know the '80s um, hair bands and everything to this day. And so now you get to listen to them whenever you want, uh, which is always always nice, and you can watch. Uh... You can watch the movies and the show whenever you want. You can go and randomly go up and start kicking people in the face if you want to. There's no end to what you can do right now. It's, it's a pretty good deal. Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be uh, arrested for assault and battery, so I keep my punching bag down here downstairs. Right. So, uh, so are you gonna are you into karate now? Are you? Uh, um, I like boxing and kickboxing. Uh, it's kind of been put on the back burner. Uh, for the last six months or so, just life happened, but starting to pick it back up. Sure. What? So what? What did you do? You said kickboxing and and boxing. What was the other? And kickboxing and boxing. So how did yeah. you get into that? How did you get into kickboxing and boxing? Um. Well, it was definitely before the pandemic, and it was just yeah. I have had a lot of pent up emotion that I didn't know how to put into words. 
Yeah. And I was really looking for a way to, to release that. And the gym that we were going to at the time, they put me in front of a punching bag and wrapped my hands and I was hooked. I was hooked from that point. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, like, I mean, I've definitely noticed a change from, you know, with, uh, my outlook on each day, um, from the time where it would be, I would have some sort of you know, day where I'm, you know, hit, you know, hitting the bag or, you know, hitting somebody else or whatever. I usually seemed a lot more, you know, even keel the rest of the day. And uh, I haven't done that for a long time. And yeah, I've definitely noticed that it's, it's a big help to be able to have that extra part happen, have that, you know, be able to have that, um, you know, it just release so much of everything that's going on and kind of makes everything seem less. And it's, it's overlooked a lot of times for things to do, but um, so, so were you, I mean, did you ever get to, um, or were you like, work in the bag you end up working other people um or sparring with other people or anything or anything like that um no actually just just the bag and uh i never really want to i i it was more just for a way to work out and for self-discipline yeah i I, oh go ahead no go ahead i was just waiting for your question okay so so then uh did you have any um i mean do you have do you have videos you're watching along with it or you just uh you know get some pointers off from the gym or um or how that how that start what were you doing or just remembering and just you know maybe (laughs) doing some crane kicks and and sweeping the leg and uh, no i never really try to recreate that because i probably would have hurt myself (laughs) however uh there was it was from the gym it was from the gym oh, okay. in, in particular. You know, as as the listeners might say, whoa, why would somebody endorse violence? And I want to be very clear, I'm not endorsing violence. I'm endorsing a form of exercise that is very well, um, very well seeped in discipline and self-protection, never really starting the starting the fight, but also I can get the same thing out of meditation or or going for a walk or going for a hike, going, you know, weightlifting. It just depends on what I'm feeling that moment. But there is definitely something very cathartic about, you know, going a few, you know, a couple rounds of the punching bag. It's just, it's incredibly cathartic. And just once you are done, you know, what that's almost like going to confession for, for Catholics. I'm Catholic, so it's like going to confession. You know, you're done and you feel great afterwards. It's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's everything's out. And I mean, like you were saying, same with you know, meditation or going for a walk, whatever way um, you know, you're going. I mean, and each one of those has its own way of just being able to get everything sort of not compartmentalized, but sort of laid out and able to work work through everything without even without working through it directly you're able to you know make it make it mean more to whatever's in your head i'm not 
that's kind of a hard way to explain that. Um, but so were then were you doing meditation as well? Uh, is that something you do of sorts or? It's something that I do try to practice daily. There are some days I'm better at it and some days that I'm not. It just depends on, you know, how exhausted I am or because of my, because my line of work, but uh, yeah, meditation is something that I definitely fall back on and it's definitely something that has been able to help me bring peace into my life and life is chaotic being an adult is hard I think it's one of life's biggest lies it's like gosh when you hit 18 you're there's this magical world where you can do whatever you want and that's just not right (laughs) trying to tell my try to tell my kids that and it's so yeah adulting is hard and you have to make decisions and you're trying to figure out everything like this whole life ahead of you at the age of 18 which is also a farce and so when going through that and just, you know, each stage of my life, when I, things change, priorities change, I find that meditation helps me stay grounded and helps me to really kind of focus on what I need to be a whole person. So does it ever, is it ever like a, you know, an aha moment or is it more of a, a you know, gradual being able to work through everything throughout whatever's going on in your life right then is there or is it a combination of both it's definitely a combination of both again it just depends on how I think how completely present I'm able to be in that moment then yeah I might I will have more aha moments at that point in time or you know burst of ideas burst of creativity also going through the ways that um our our mind works right through the alpha waves, the theta waves, the delta waves, things like that. But then also it's sometimes that there are just days where I come home completely knackered just mentally. And physically I'm fine, but mentally I'm just, I'm done. Like I don't want to have to make another decision when I get home. Sure. And so to even try to fall asleep, that's quite, it's quite difficult, particularly when I don't want to take a medication to, to make me sleep. Um, so I find meditation is very helpful at that just to help bring down the exhaustion, maybe to kind of replenish my mind, a little bit of brain glue as far as maybe meditation, as far as maybe through a, a Buddhist chant or, or or the rosary or Gregorian chants, it just depends on whatever is speaking to me at that time. So it's just to bring the mind back together and say, okay, uh, I'm exhausted, but uh, tomorrow's another day. Tomorrow's another day to, you know, get a new start and still have to have a lot to be thankful for, even though today was like a trash bag on fire in the office. You know, we, we have those days. And so what, what is it you do uh, at, at your job? I'm a, I'm an internist. I'm a, I'm a physician. I do adult medicine only and uh outpatient so i don't do any hospital work but uh so i'm, I'm a physician I, I do outpatient um clinic and you know today this day and age with with drug shortages or recalls or you know insurance and more patients uh coming into the system or more doctors leaving and the patient load going higher it can be quite, quite uh, overwhelming at times, I would say. I still love what I do. I still love what I do. 
hundred percent. And I'm very thankful and grateful for my patients. Um, but there are a lot of workarounds that we have to do. For example, if I want to order a medication for a patient, because that's what they need and it's first or second line that they've tried and they have reactions to, but yet this medication would help them with their hypertension or uh, diabetes, the drug company, I understand that they have to re recoup their investment. But a lot of times insurance companies will say, no, we're not going to cover it. Or, you know, you have to try X, Y, and Z before we'll be able to consider you know, covering it. <clears throat> or, yeah, we'll cover it, but this is the, it's like a tier five. So the copay is X, X amount and it's not like affordable. A very high amount. Yeah, of, a very high amount. So, I mean, yeah, they're just basically getting you to do it their way without absolutely forcing it, sort of a, a roundabout way of, you know, getting you to to do it with them, being like, well, you can, you do have this option, but, you know, not a lot of people can afford that. And um, so are they, you said that, is there a short, you said there's short, more of a shortage of uh, of physicians now? Is that something that's going on right now? Where, where are doctors going, or is there just more? I mean, more people coming in, like, um, or did people leave the last few years, or uh, what, what kind of happened? All the above. So the truth is that there's always been a physician shortage, because if, for example, if you wanted to get in to see me, it currently has a new patient. The wait might be six weeks. And that's oh, with, wow. And and that's not intentional. That's not intentional. That's that's me with double booking and triple booking certain slots to accommodate current needs. But let's say the baby boomers, right? They're getting ready yeah. to retire or have retired. Twenty to twenty-five percent as of two thousand or twenty twenty-one, twenty twenty-two, we're thinking about either retiring, cutting back, or leaving medicine altogether because uh, a lot of it's from the pandemic and just from burnout and moral injury. And then, you know, you have maybe more medical schools popping up and not enough residency spots, or you have, so it's a combination of everything, but there's always been a physician shortage. And then now with every, everything post COVID um, with the failing healthcare system, you have even more of a physician shortage. And I, I think that, you know, they're trying to fill some of that with physician assistants or nurse practitioners. And I'm not anti-advanced practice uh, PAs or, or nurses, nurse practitioners, and we have, I work with great ones, but you know, there's, there's a lot of, there should be a lot of collaboration and, um, uh, and not necessarily independent practice because of the difference in schooling. But it, either way, I think they have it hard too because of just the way that the system is set up and it hurts the patients, it hurts the clinician. So it's kind of hard to be a practicing medicine in this day and age. Yeah, I mean, so when I go, I think all my doctors I've had here have all been, you know, physician assistants or um, I mean, none of them were doctors and all anyone that was a doctor had a huge long wait to get in and then then it's also there's the communication between the two or between however many 
is usually, I mean, I don't know, you got to, you know, fill out a million different things to bring to a different million doctors and, um, and that that kind of gets gets tough from a patient standpoint. And then um, I had some experience with uh, I don't know if I, you know there's a a large you know uh, healthcare group um, where they have all the doctors kind of working with each other. Um, which was great. Um, just, you know, all these different specialists with my primary care as well, all working together, all know what I had, all my stuff was in one spot. And I felt like I got a lot, but I also felt like I got, I, I don't know, I felt like I was sort of a guinea pig there at that place as far as what was going on. So I was dealing with some stuff that didn't really make a lot of sense um, and still doesn't. Um, but I don't know. I feel like that's been, I mean, there's just, yeah, it seems to be such a disconnect between specialists and, and doctors and physician assistants. And I, it's none of their faults. I just think the system is set up so I don't know. I mean, it's basically it seems like it's to cater to insurance and the the pharmaceutical um, corporations of sorts to maximize their stuff. And you know, doctors and patients are just sort of in there, just they're existing, and you know, both both trying to get the best, but it's it's hard to work around those parameters, like you were saying. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, at least I'm, I'm in primary care. I'm an internist and that's definitely the way it feels like, you know, um, try to do what, is, what the patient needs. Like you've known this patient for 10 years and you know, this is what they need. And the patient keeps saying, this is what I need. I need some, this isn't working something something's wrong and you know the the patient really is their the expert in their body and yet yeah another another party that has never set foot into that room has no idea except for what they see being submitted but they have no context of the backstory they make those yeah. decisions no yeah it's yeah it's really hard to be able to get stuff. I mean, yeah, for the best. I mean, what would you suggest would be a better way, or is there is there something that would be better? I mean, and and a and a great world and a great world <laughs> of great great healthcare. I mean, what what would need to happen in that area? Then I think going back to the way medicine used to be, where if the doctor thinks that the patient needs an MRI, they can order an MRI based on clinical decisions and not have to jump through hoops that may or may not. I mean, I understand some of the initial steps, but you know, not everything is cookie cutter medicine. So allowing the physician and patient to nurture that relationship and not have all these uh, entities like big pharma, 
like the insurance companies, like regulations coming into the exam room and damaging that, that relationship. Just stay out of the exam room, stay out of, stay out of the way that uh, physician and patient agreed to, to, you know, approach the patient's health. So that's, that's what I say. Um, the electronic medical record or EHR, it, yeah. it was great in theory, but it adds no value to patient uh, physician care or relationships. And it is actually one of the biggest uh, blockers and drivers as far as uh, physician burnout, because we spend more time treating the computer and this electronic health record than we do patients. And nobody went to medical school for that or PA school or nurse practitioner school, you know? So it takes away from, it takes away from the uh, relationship that we build with patients because we're staring so, at a dang screen. So is there a way, uh, <laughs> or is there something, or I, okay, there's uh, the, what is it? The medical transcriptioner, transcriber. What, what is that? Is that, because I, I feel like what that is, is a doctor, you know, talks into a recorder of some sort and then sends it and then someone else writes it out. Is that only in certain places that happens and you're lucky if you get that? Right. So, well, there are a few things that we can do. We, you know, I, like, for example, I use Emodal, which is a great software, but I don't do that in front of the patient. I still have to go outside of the exam room and do that on my own time. Right. So that's over lunch or on, on my, on my time in the after, after hours. Uh, so there are a few ways. There are transcriptionists or uh, scribes. So there okay. are scribes and they can come into the exam room with you and type your notes. Um, part of that thing is, is cost. And right now, all the, all the uh, most medical systems are pretty strapped for cash, particularly after COVID. And then um, with inflation, actually everything else has gone up in the medical world as far as cost and reimbursements going down. Whoa. Uh, okay. Yeah, I bet. So with that. it's, yeah, so it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, so being able to bring that in and have that not take away um, or not to be overburdened as far as already stretched budget. That's one thing. Um, keep in mind that those scribes, a lot of times, are also going to move on to bigger and better things. So then you're going to have to try, you know, recruit another one. So turnover is an issue. Um, so there's some things as far as like AI that uh, are HIPAA compliant. <clears throat> and oh, I, interesting. Yeah. That's HIPAA compliant. Okay. I, wow. I mean, you have to be HIPAA compliant, right? Right. For, some, for a, a device to go into the, yeah. to the exam room. So... Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that can probably do well. And then, I mean, with that too, um, I mean, how often are you having people come in that are, you know, coming in and they're like, oh, here's what I found on WebMD or this is what, this is what, you know, AI told me I have. I mean, is that something that's, I've heard that's been kind of a pretty big uh, occurrence and pretty, you know, everyone seems to be an expert um, with no medical training, only, uh, you know, six minutes of a simple WebMD search. Yeah, don't, 
Uh, if you ask Dr. Google, don't don't mistake Dr. Google's information for my medical degree. However, we can use it as a talking point or a teaching point, right? So I'm not a yeah. fan of WebMD just because, you know, and they have to as a disclaimer. If you have a headache and you look at it, oh my gosh, you could die. Like it could be a subarachnoid hemorrhage and that's fatal. So I always tell patients, you know what? If you have a question, let me know. Um, I'd be more than happy to send you information. Now, here's the thing. If you want to go to a site, go to something that's credible like Cleveland Clinic, Harvard, um, you know, Mayo Clinic, do something that's reputable and that actually have great patient information. Uh, not to put WebMD down, but it's very generic and I mean, I've, I've read it and it's like, okay, I can under, I can totally understand where where patients get scared because yeah, they're they're thinking of like the top 100 differential diagnosis, which is very rare. You know, once you get a hundred diagnoses that are in your differential diagnosis and death could be one of them. So of course, of course. And so then there's, there's, there's panic and, and it just, causes a lot more anxiety than I think it, than it should, but we just use it as a teaching point. And Hey, next time you have a question, just, just call the office. Yeah. So do you think that WebMD is set up that way to show more of the ones that would panic you to kind of get you to come back to the website more to? No, I really do think it's just, you know, they have to just reliability because if, if something, if somebody were to go and read the WebMD, um, and it were to say, and if it weren't to say that, and then, you know, I, I just think it would, I think it's more for liability purposes and not to, not to put down WebMD. I think it's a good resource for individual, for individuals, but I can also see where it can cause panic. Whereas maybe some of the other sites would walk through in more general language and not so, uh, inflammatory. Um, but I can definitely see where, you know, patients would, patients would definitely be, be scared or panic just, just in general. So then is, I mean, so, and okay. And you have, um, you know, your, uh, the part about the burnout. And so, I mean, was that, kind of i mean because i don't know it was interesting the last few years with that um you know kind of watching how a lot of people in the medical field were doing stuff but then you know you also you know had the, the you know the choreographed tiktok dances and stuff of and i mean you know, there's, yeah, I mean, that was, I, I felt that was kind of a slap in the face to a lot of people that were, you know, in the medical field to, you know, having that going on, like, you know, they're talking about, you know, burnout and shortages and everything, you got people dancing around and um, I don't know, that's just my thought, I don't, I'm not in that. So just yeah. outsider perspective on that part. So I know a, a couple of uh, physicians that use dance as a creative way to, to undo stress. So it's actually, they use it as a creative outlet. And so, oh. 
I, I, I can, I'm not, I'm not really a TikTok user. So I, I do know that there was, that there had been some stories of absolutely inappropriate um, use of being in, in the medical profession and being on social media. And I, I don't condone that. Like we have, we definitely have a calling to represent the seriousness of that connection between patient and physician or patient and nurse seriously because we literally deal with life and death so not to make a joke of it but i do know that there are some physicians that use like impersonation of stereotypical uh personalities like dr glockenflecken he'll come up with skits and i absolutely love his work because he's a, he's an ophthalmologist but his his impersonation of ortho or uh, you know, neurology are just so stereotypical, but it's it's hilarious. And you can you can oh yeah, I can you, we can all we can all pull from our medical experience or maybe even being a patient of okay, he totally got that right. Yeah. Um which is is fun to watch and you know get to it's yeah, I guess at the same time it is a pretty you know under underrepresented um area of you know be able to get comedy out of it yeah which is you know and yeah especially when you can i mean you know stereotypes are stereotypes because you know they're usually i mean there's a reason they're they're there and right you know they can they can if you can nail them like there there are some things like when you know watching people um that are just very good at picking up nuances of of someone else like you're saying with with this person that's making these videos or um you know even like comedians or i, I like saying uh you know um like like the south park guys or the you know, he was some butthead guys yeah, and stuff yeah. of that nature like just being able to get these little tiny parts of people and really like you're just like okay that i yeah i know that person i that's exactly what they do and it's right it's it's pretty good stuff and um i'm actually a south park fan to be honest are, are you it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's so great. good it's yeah. so good um i've yeah it's um because yeah that that came out uh and man, I I've been watching it since it came out, and I because I was like fifteen, maybe there I think, and uh, yeah, I mean just ever since then, and just how much stuff in the last few years that they've just nailed every single little part, just every little detail of um, how everyone from every different part of everything acts and it's just like ah oh, yeah. yeah and it's yeah it's it's so good and so i mean so then how are you getting past burnout i mean what's what's stopping you from getting to that point of no return or is there i mean like yeah is there 
Um, there, there definitely is. I think everybody has their own threshold, right? Um, right. For me, for me, I've been through burnout twice, and each time I've tried to either change the boundaries in which I work, or trying to. Not for now, for example, now I work part time because I have a young family and I like doing other things outside of medicine. But also, what really kind of opened my eyes, what definitely opened my eyes, not kind of what did open my eyes, was the um, death by suicide of my best friend, who was also a physician back in 2019. Oh, she died so, by. Go ahead. No, she died by suicide in her office. Whoa, from burnout. From burnout, depression, um, being in a system that was just really hard to keep up with, that was potentially going to punish her if she sought professional help, such as from a psychiatrist or a therapist. So it's, uh, so what's, how's that work? Um, I mean, is there a network? for physicians because again with HIPAA um mm. I mean how much if you're going to see a you know a, a therapist or anything of the sort uh I mean like what can you talk about um how you know I've you know how much can you really get into it and I feel like with with that there's I mean definitely parts that as a professional, you need to leave out that may, you know, make um, make what you're going through make more sense to the therapist. But then it's just not being able to fully disclose what's going on because of of HIPAA. Is that something that that happens? Oh yeah. So for example. When we don't like, a, I, I'm a, I'm in therapy. I'm in therapy myself, right? Because uh -huh. uh, I've had to you know, initially process. You know, why would why would such a great, great person who was an amazing physician take their own life? You know, what do you do with that? Um, how do you grieve that? So you can go into therapy, and you can say what you're feeling. And general circumstances without identity, like using patient identifiers. So that way you still protect, like my, I can still protect my uh, patients' personal information, medical information. So that way I don't um, break HIPAA, but yeah. also still get my needs met. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, um, yeah. But there's even, Kansas is no longer one of those states where that penalizes physicians for trying to reach out for for help mental you know mental capacity or for anxiety depression etc so are there a lot of states that do yeah actually every year when we go to fill out our medical license you know one of the questions has actually been do you suffer from anxiety do you suffer from depression do you suffer from x y and z and so oh. we have to we have to either check yes or no or and if we check yes, you know, what are what is the repercussion? Are we going to be investigated? Are we going to be put on probation because we were honest that we, you know, I suffer from depression. As an example, I suffer from depression because 
like being a, you know, I've seen some really traumatic cases and you, you carry that with you. Sure. And I, so there, Kansas is one of 13 states that has either done away with the questions or rewritten them to where it's now, do you suffer from anxiety, depression, or any other mental condition that could impede your ability to practice medicine, which is a huge deal. So that way, I'm not dinged for being human. Right. Seeking help, which is one of the first things that I would tell my one of my patients, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, why would the doctor not do the same, you know, when the right. doctor knows how well it works? Right. And it's because we're, you know, physicians and I'm sure PAs and nurse practitioners, they were literally scared of professional repercussion if we ask for help because, yeah, it's, 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 it can be hard. Life can be hard. Being an adult can be hard. But also when you work in a system that really impedes your ability to, to really take care of patients or um, you just carry a lot, you actually carry a lot with you as a physician regarding your patients, um, regardless, regardless of the age, socioeconomic status, you know, we carry a lot of that with us. So just, just so you know. Sure. Yeah. And so is, I mean, so there's 37 states that it will potentially, you know, potentially, uh, you know, you could be setting yourself up for a lot of backlash of sorts. If I don't know, backlash is the right word, but the backlash um, is investigation. Is, 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah. What is fear because we don't know what's going to happen. It's like this vortex of unknown. And so then, I mean, yeah, how many, uh, you know, cases are, or, you know, other professionals who are either A, not going to, uh, you know, seek out anything because of this, or, do seek something out and get caught and, you know, lose their, potentially lose their, their livelihood. And I mean, I, I would have never known anything about that. And I mean, that's uh that's a huge burden for anyone in that field to have to, to deal with. Yeah. So that's, um, wow. It's not uncommon for, to hear about physicians going across state lines to seek help. Oh, okay. Paying cash. Yeah. Uh, so it stays off the books. Like there's no record. Yeah. Uh, there's a good reason why, and this is not a, this is a little bit of sarcasm. Sorry. The rate of physician suicide is probably the highest of any profession. Really, at least at least four hundred die by suicide here in the United States alone every year. Two and well, a half that's, more. That's wow, like two that's medical school classes a year. I mean, that's more than one a day. Yeah. Throughout the year, and yeah. that's never a statistic I've seen, and you know that they're you know that's. That's a, that's a rough one. That's huge. That's a huge number. I mean, that's, you know, 
you know, more than people that are, you know, getting attacked by, you know, certain animals or, um, yeah, that's, that's a big, big number right there. And I mean, is it, is it being addressed within the schooling coming up or uh, is it making us rounds around other doctors or how are, how are people learning about that and what are their reactions to learning to that, learning that? Hey, that's a good question. I think it's a little bit of all the above. I think that medical schools are at least around, around it, or at least here in Kansas, I know are, are trying to address that by having it be, you know, a lecture and uh, um, physician suicide awareness day in September, you know, it's, it's, oh, okay. it has its own day. That's, that's good. It has its own day now. And, you know, at least getting some, some recognition and some exposure to, yeah, someone who, you know, could potentially, you know, be, yeah, part of that statistic. And, right. And I yeah. think that there's more awareness. I think the pandemic brought a lot of that to light with like uh, Dr. Lorna Breen, who is an ER physician uh, in New York at the height of COVID and really just worked herself to death, literally. Felt like she had nothing left to give and died by suicide. So Whoa. I do think that a lot of this has come out of the pandemic, um, silver lining, not to be macabre, but it's more of the pandemic made a lot of things come out of the woodworks and a lot of the, out of the closets that we need to discuss. And so moving forward, yeah, there's there's more information out there about physician suicide and uh, prevention and mental health. So I do think that the American Medical Association, the Surgeon General, they're listening. And yeah. it's just, and they're trying to put things in place, but um, the biggest factors, you know, a lot of the, like, the culture of medicine and the entities that we had discussed before, making all the rules that apply to the patient-physician relationship within the exam room, you know. Um, those are big drivers, and those really have been allowed to snowball into, into this um, beast that is unrecognizable anymore. And it's, it's, hard to, it's hard for patients to navigate, and it's not patient-friendly. It's definitely not patient-centered. Yeah. And, you know, that's hard. That's hard because you know, we, we're patients, too. And it's it's insane. This is this is never the way that I think physicians would have believed that medicine would be in this decade. Is it? Um, is this happening in any other places in the world, or is it just sort of a something that's pretty exclusive to the United States? Unfortunately, uh, physician suicide is not isolated only here to the U.S. It is on the rise in the U.K., Canada. Uh, I don't know the statistics elsewhere. I don't know the exact statistics for the U.K. and Canada, but I do know that some of my colleagues across the pond and up north are uh, experiencing similar um, I would say existential questions as to how are we supposed to practice medicine in a system like this, you know, kind of 
expected to build a great thing out of you know duct tape and and sticks you know i i don't know how that that's not it's not compatible it's not sustainable it's definitely not possible so so i mean so what i don't know i mean so is it a brain brainstorming of what what can be done and like what what would need to change to make it uh sustainable and um safe i guess is the other word sustainable and safe for you know for anyone in the field it's a great question i think definitely leveling the playing field with um the clinicians you know pas and nurse practitioners can definitely change fields every so often I think physicians should have more fluidity in their ability to maybe go back for further training um, to, that may augment what they can bring to their local area that may not have it. For example, I'm in rural Kansas and we have a great practice here, but if I could go and get some further training in X, Y, and Z, and then, for example, if I if we didn't have any surgeons or if we didn't have anybody do colonoscopies, if I could have gone and got training and then bring that back to the community. That's not always black and white like that for, for physicians. You know, there's a lot no. of red tape. Um, so where a, a, a nurse practitioner or a PA, and I'm not, again, I'm not, I work with great and I think everybody adds value to the delivery of healthcare. But there's not a lot, there's not as much red tape to maybe go and work in a different specialty. So for five years, they might work in ortho, then they might go and you know do something like work in cardiology or another, you know, maybe outpatient um, primary care as an example. But uh, the fluidity of physicians to be able to do that is is not like that. But it might be better if if we were able to to do that, seeing that we have the most extensive training, um, but then also you know, eliminating debt because the med school debt is about 200,000 after four years. And that's only that, for medical that, school. That seems even on the low side from what I've heard. It, it is. That's from a state yeah. school, but that's, yeah. that's, that's only medical school. That's not including undergrad. That's not including everything that um, you did for, for living expenses, for testing, for applying um, this doesn't include if you took the more scenic route and maybe did a master's or two, because there are some people that do that. Yeah. And then you then you add interest on top of that. So I would say let's let's say about close to four hundred to five hundred thousand dollars. So it's definitely not affordable with the with the um, trajectory because we we start you know ten years behind the eight ball. Yeah, and then yeah, I mean, then you get that, and it's. Maybe, you know, that's, that's a big chunk of money to get through when probably at the same time, there's a, you know, a mortgage with somewhat of the, maybe somewhere close to the same number. And you, you have know. to be a fool to take a mortgage on of that number with that much debt, but people do it. Yeah. People do it. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard one. I mean, that's got to add to it as well and just i mean do you think less people are coming up and wanting to be 
physicians right now, or you think there's still like a, a people that are always just going to want to go come through and do it? Or what do you see from the next generations coming up? I think that they're smarter. I think that in what what sense? um, They're looking more at the life work balance of how do I make this sustainable? Yeah, because the way that we're doing medicine right now with the kind of the culture of, again, some of the things I shared with you, you would never have known that that side of being a physician, right? Right. So more bringing the humanity more bringing our humanity to to light and saying, okay, I don't mind working hard, long hours, but then I also need to carve out this time for my family and for other interests I have outside of medicine. And so, you know, how do I create that niche or that lifestyle where I can be a physician and also be a, a whole person and make that sustainable for like 30, 40, 50 years? You know, how do yeah. I incorporate my interests into how I practice medicine? How do I incorporate who I am as a person into how I deliver care to a patient, which is, you know, bringing your authentic self. I think that's more, um, I wouldn't say discussed in medical school, but I think it's more of an accepted way of just being with the, with the younger crowd these days, with the medical students nowadays. And that's, that's, that's helpful. That's how change. That's how change is going to happen, and you know, we can have as much legislation as we want, but the truth is, even with that, culture change starts from the top down. And so, I'd like to see some of those, some new leaders from the younger generation step up with their new ideas. I truly would. I think it would, it's going to be a richer, better world because. They're going to think differently. They're going to have some great ideas being brought to the table. Yeah. I mean, I'd hope so. I'd hope they learn. They learn from what they're seeing. And a lot of them seem to be pretty receptive to it, um, to what's going on. Maybe as more of a whole consciousness than individually, which you know, that, that part I, I'm not sure about, but, you know, I, I do think there's a lot of it coming to light and, um, you know, that's a big, big help for, yeah, whoever's coming up and whoever's, whoever's in right now. And, um, and then, so, uh, you know, with, with the younger generation and the, and the podcast, you have a podcast as well. Are, what's, I mean, are you able to, like on, on your podcast, are you, are you bring in, you know, these issues up or what was, you know, are you, um, you know, speaking with other people about, about what's happening or anything of that nature? All the above. So it's the worthy physician and it was started back in 2021 as a way to grieve my friend's death. And also during the pandemic, when a lot of things were uncertain, and yeah. so that's when I, that's when I started podcasting. Um, and yeah, we discuss. I bring on other physicians or healthcare workers to share their story, right? Because this is not something that we as physicians talk about, or we in healthcare talk about. I mean, it's really taboo to to talk about. I feel 
like I don't know how to start grieving my friend's suicide. Oh, and I don't know how to process this because I've never gone through this. I need help. You know, it's it's yeah. kind of one of those things where we don't, we're not really encouraged to ask for help, but we are telling our patients to ask for help. Well, I need to be, I need to walk the walk and talk to talk, right? So right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for help. We're going to normalize that conversation of it's, we're all human. We've been through this. Burnout is more than just a writing, you know, writing of a word. It's true stories of physicians, nurse practitioners, um, nurses that have come on, pharmacists, you know, that have shared their, shared their journey and uh, really combating burnout through awareness and trying to reignite the passion for medicine again, because you can still be a nurse or a physician or, or a pharmacist, even though you're not doing it the traditional way, you can still help others and other non-clinical ways of just being creative. So, I mean, I've even had a gentleman, all I'm talking about his software, SmartNote MD, about, uh, you know, AI, using AI in the exam room to scribe notes. It's a, little, it's a time saver. Yeah. And I mean, so I heard that uh, chat GPT-4 is a, was able to pass the medical exam recently. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, do you think that's going to be something that's going to be along with that sort of as like a, you know, physician assistant in a way, um, do you think that's going to be something that's going to, you see happening within uh, the medical field, having, you know, it's basically, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I do, you know, a bunch of different creative endeavors that I see AI can just do a lot better than I can right now. And um, it's frustrating in some parts very much. And, but at the same time, you know, being able to collaborate and being able to use it, like being able to use it for, um, you know, doing show notes, writing the description and right. for the, the episode of this, uh, I don't know how to do any of that stuff. I'm terrible at it and just having something to, you know, help out. I mean, I, I'm inputting the stuff, but it just able to, you know, kind of do the rest of the stuff for me. And because, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know. There are lots of different ways to learn things. And I as long as you're still learning and not completely relying on it, Bingo. I think it can, it can do some good. It can definitely do some good. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I come from, uh, you know, half analog, half digital world. And um, yeah. so it, it's, I, I kind of feel both sides pulling at me. And, you know, sometimes just like, you know, I'm, you know, I was talking with a friend last night about making music and just how, you know, easy that one was to just have something that can make a better thing than me. And 30 seconds takes me a couple of weeks. And, um, but being able to use it together, um, like, uh, there's this program, uh, it's AI program as well, where it can separate the vocals from the, the rest of the instrumentals and, mm -hmm. you know, use being able to use that to be able to, you know, add an acapella version of whatever to a different instrumental of something as, 
you know, something that still involves the human and has that human part, but just being able to have something else to bounce it off of that's that's there, especially when there's not another person there that can do it, um, you know, or it's not, you know, uh, financially feasible or um, or even, you know, you know, not being able to, yeah, not being able to find a person to help out, just having someone like that. So is that, you think that's going to be something that's going to be happening in the medical field is, you know, something can, to bounce off ideas or. I can definitely see it in that sort of capacity or even like a virtual assistant. Um, even again, you know, not only just doing notes, but maybe trying to generate, hey, what is the statistical possibility that this might be X diagnosis versus Y? You know, what are the statistics? Um, so maybe even as a sounding board, not to say that we as humans don't know how to look things up, but, you know, it's also nice to maybe use an instrument that has access to countless, you know, just unlimited data. So I think as long as it's used with an ethical and logical intent and execution within the medical world, yeah. I, I do not see a problem with that. Like I would definitely, I wouldn't be the first one to adopt it. I'd want them to work out the bugs and then, and then I would definitely yeah. look at doing that, um, if that makes sense. So yeah, that I makes perfect sense. AI is here to stay. And I think we're going to see it just really blow it blow a lot of things out of the water in a good way. And I think as long as the intention stays true and ethical, I don't see a problem with it. Yeah. yeah I think it's, um, it can be a big help. And I mean, yeah, would you see it any other way you think used in the medical field that could possibly help with Kirby uh, and burnout? We could get AI to maybe do some of the administrator roles and maybe, uh, you know, take those meetings and send them out as emails instead of actual meetings. So that way I don't have to clone myself and uh, be in two places at once. That'd be great. I mean, the place where I am now, I, I think there, there's that there's minimum meetings, but I can I can definitely. And I, when I say I don't mean my exact situation, but I can definitely see where physicians have to be on a committee but yet you know the meeting's at seven but the I have patients run on at the hospital that meeting at seven is not going to impact my life but it's impactful that I see those patients at 7 a.m that are in the ICU versus going to a seven o'clock meeting that that's an hour of my life I'll never get back right and that could be done by taking notes that someone else could take and you can read over a uh you know, a quick synopsis. Uh, right. Even, yeah, throw it into chat GPT and have it give you a summary in one page. Uh, get the cliffs notes. And if you really need to go in. Uh, you know, I, I can always send uh, an email or I can always, you know, but I think that if we could utilize um, and maybe automate some systems that AI could do better. Because you know they're going to look at they're going to look at us and say what can AI do better than a physician? Well, I'd say what can AI do better than a than than a human in general? And where can we make it more efficient so that way it frees up our time to be doing more meaningful tasks? Yeah, you know? I, 
really being able to get in with the patient and really, because I mean, yeah, with some of that, I, I mean, it's got to take away at least some of your focus, you know, you're not, um, it's got, you know, you don't have that, you know, think in your head, okay, I'm going to have to go and write this down later. I need to remember that part. And, you know, I need to, you know, worry about going to this meeting and, um, yeah, I mean, just being able to kind of get around that and yeah, just get be, into something different, you know? Yeah, be uh, perfectly present in the moment with that patient at that time yeah. and not have to worry about anything else. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 what I strive for. You know, that's what I strive for, honestly. Oh, I hope it gets there. And, yeah. um, and then also you have a book too. You have a book, uh, Thriving After Burnout. Yes, I uh, wrote about my uh, journey through burnout and overcoming it and, you know, how um, podcasting has been a creative outlet for me and has also connected me to other others. But uh, yeah, I'm a co-author and it's women physicians who came and compiled their their stories. So I think it's pretty impactful and not just for physicians, not just for physicians, it's a lot of life lessons, I think, because we as adults are not always taught how to process things or, you know, that again, adulting, adulting is hard. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. No one told us that. Some people probably did, but, you know, I, yeah, I think, yeah, we were thought it would be pretty, pretty easy and can't, you know, can't wait to. <laughs> yeah, exactly can't wait to get there and then it's like oh yeah okay well i guess we're here now so <laughs> let's do this and yeah um and so where, where are people going to find that book if they're looking if they're out hunting sure so it's it is available on amazon where i also have a link to it on my on my website the worthy which is oh sorry the worthy, go ahead oh no no sorry the worthy and then over on the side, on the uh, click down menu, you can click the link to books and it'll take you to that one. And then, so, um, yeah, so anyone that wants to find you, they should just go to the website and we'll have anything they can need to know about Sapna Shahak. And in the realm of being a physician discussing burnout, yes. Aren't we all complex creatures? Yeah. So that there's more. There's something else. Maybe we can say that for something. Uh, yeah. Yes. But it's uh, everything in regarding my work on uh, <laughs> physician burnout. That's that's on the website. Yes. And also the uh, my social handles as far as Instagram and uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, everything else. Okay. Yeah. So I'll just put a link to the website in the description and then I'll make it easy to get you and check everything out of yours make sure they're following you linking up with you and everything that they should be doing and yeah I think that's, that's probably pretty uh, pretty all right so then um yeah so I mean what what's what's gonna happen with I mean, like, what, what's been your best takeaway from, you know, getting 
working through burnout um, that, you know, can kind of be put into any part of anyone's life. Sure. So, you know, we can be, I know it sounds so redundant or maybe cliche, but it's very true. And that's, we're replaceable at work, but we're not replaceable at home. Yeah, because if we we can be replaced in a matter of hours or days, yeah, if I were to if I were to drop dead tomorrow, I guarantee I'll be replaced at work. But nobody's going to be replacing me here at home with with my family and my friends because there's only one me. Yeah. Oh, I like that. And you know, like yeah, stuff that's redundant or cliche is usually pretty spot on because I mean, there's a reason. <laughs> reason why it's there so True. and you know it's the reason why people say it so yeah I mean just because it said a lot doesn't mean it's any less correct so yeah I I'm very much agreeing with you on that one so um Sapna thank you so much for being on and I was great getting to meet you and talk with you for for this and you know I yeah I hope everyone gets to learn a little bit more and uh you know have something that they can have some more understanding of that they might not otherwise. Sure. Yeah. And then thank you everyone for listening to everyone in the studio audience over there. And uh, that is the show, man. <laughs>